0: Right, guys welcome to volume three of church jams now volume three yes it is volume three we've done two we feel pretty good about it we are two former youth group kids and current music nerds and we revisit and discuss iconic christian music albums of the 90s and 2000s i am your co-host kylan savage
1: and i'm your other co co-host tj smith you're a double co-host you're a co co-host uh, that's right.
0: We just did
1: an episode with Josh Olson talking about Take Me to Your Leader. How'd you feel about that? It was wonderful. Josh brought a lot to the table, and it was a delight to have him. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Let's let's give another shout out to him, our
0: very first guest. We'll definitely be having more guests on after this. But for now, it's just the dynamic duo, the OGs. The OGs. What are we doing this week? what do What are we talking about?
1: Oh man, Kyle and I am so excited because for as long as there have been things uh, that people drop, uh, there has been someone to pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Five Iron Frenzy today.
0: That's right, Five Iron Frenzy, our newest album ever. Our newest album ever. So I got to say going into this, uh, I'm very excited, but I'm also not super familiar with this album as a whole. Yeah. You know, I there's a lot of songs that I do remember, but I feel like most of those were on like compilation albums and stuff right. that I had growing up. So I'm super stoked to go through this album and see... What am I excited to see? I'm excited to see... <laughs> What are you excited to see? Dude, I don't know, man. I'm in a closet. <laughs> My wife's sleeping. I'm a little bit all over the place today. But I'm really excited to see how this album holds up in terms of just ska music in general. Five Iron Frenzy was probably one of the top Christian ska bands. You know, as them and OC Supertones. Mm-hmm. I was definitely more of a Supertones guy, but I think you were more of a Five Iron guy. Yep. So I'm excited to kind of get into it and see how all this fits within the context of Christian music and ska music, which was super big at this time because this album came out, what, this was 97? 97. All right, so I think that that kind of leads us into this little part where we go into Kylan's Nerd Corner, where I basically just looked at Wikipedia for a couple hours and pulled some things about the band. And I know, TJ, I know you have some thoughts and some... Some information that you want to share about them, right? Yeah,
1: I got some stuff. All right,
0: so jump in whenever. I'm just going to kind of read off yeah. some of these some of these facts. So Five Iron Frenzy, they were founded in Denver in 1995. The band at the time consisted of Reese Roper on vocals, Micah Ortega and Scott Kerr on guitar, Keith Horig on bass, and Andrew Verdeccio on drums. And then a little bit after they were founded, they brought in Brad Dunham, Dennis Culp and Leonor Ortega as their horn section.
1: Also known as Jeff the Girl.
0: Jeff the Girl, yeah, yeah. That's what's up. And she was cousins with guitarist Micah Ortega, right? Correct. Alright. That's cool. Gotta keep it in the family. Keep it all in the family. And it wouldn't be a ska it wouldn't be a ska band without a horn section. That's you know? right. So I found out too that. I didn't know this. The name Five Iron Frenzy was an inside joke with the band Mm -hmm. Uh, because apparently one of the members' roommates came out of their room with a golf club. Waving it around. Yeah. He was scared of being mugged. I mean, this is like, this is the most inside Inside band nonsense ever. Yeah. You know, and then you name your band after that. It's like how I have a song on my new album called Steve Harvey. And it's totally just an inside joke with my wife and I. That new new. That new new. Steve Harvey, that new news. I, I feel like that happens a lot with bands and stuff, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, get any number of goofballs in a room and just weirdness ensues. Exactly. And a lot of times that that's what makes the best band names or inside joke references.
0: That's true. Because Five Iron Frenzy is a great band name. It
1: really I'll is. I'll just say that right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Like,
0: And it... I don't know if it's just because I know them as a ska band, but it sounds like the name of a ska band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like they're not taking themselves too seriously. They're just trying to have some fun.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if this is just me or if there's a connection here that's more universally relatable, but the idea of iron, for some reason, that picture of like something metal then makes me think of like brass instruments. and so. I yeah. hear the brass section when I hear the name Five Iron Frenzy, yeah. like a frenzy, like a a lot of people being a part of something. Ska band's having a lot of members. Like there's just a lot of, for me, a lot of correlation between the name and like the essence of Ska. Right.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. What else you got? The album we're talking about today is our newest album ever, which was their second album. Their first album was Upbeats and Beatdowns. Our newest album ever was released in November nineteen ninety-seven. And hey, it peaked at
1: one seventy six on the Billboard two hundred charts. It sure did. That was the that was the Renaissance, man. The Sconazance. The
0: Sconazance. I <laughs> like that. Hashtag Sconazance.
1: That's never gonna take.
0: I was looking to nineteen ninety seven, some of the top songs that year. Umbop by Hansen came out. Oh yes. Yeah, I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. Oh, man. And Candle in the Wind by Elton John because, you know, Princess Diana had just died. Right. So, Wow, what a time. I know, that was all in the zeitgeist. Although I did, so I know we've done this on the past couple of episodes where I kind of talk about the Grammys and stuff, but I thought this was super weird. The best pop album of 1997 at the Grammys, do you think you can guess it? No way. I guarantee you, you can't, but I want to I see. Well, what what you think it might have been? The best pop album of nineteen ninety seven.
1: I mean, it's gotta be some like boy band or Britney Spears or something,
0: right? You would think, right? Yeah. It's Hourglass by James Taylor.
1: Get out of here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Flippin' James Taylor won best pop album in nineteen ninety seven. Do you know that album? I don't because N- not I'm not a fifty year old wine fanatic. Oh, you're
1: not? Like <laughs> Oh, okay. I know.
0: Yeah, no, I don't know it at all. I don't either. I don't listen to James I have listened to James Taylor. And James Taylor's awesome but I'm also not a divorced mother. So like I don't listen to a ton of James Taylor. But I will say though, the best alternative album
1: at the Grammys was OK Computer by Radiohead. Right on. So
0: that makes sense.
1: And meanwhile, these these plucky nerds are jumping around with their horns in Denver. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Making a bunch of noise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm <laughs> making a bunch of noise. A Five Iron Frenzy, man. Uh, it, it wasn't no Mbop, but it was their newest album ever.
0: That's true. Do you have any other things to say? I don't have much more. Literally, I have one other thing, and I thought it was weird. Specifically from Wikipedia, I thought the wording of this was really funny. <laughs> but in 2003, I guess they they broke up, but specifically the drummer, Andrew Rodecchio, left but the wording on the Wikipedia article is really funny to me. Andrew Verdecchio's decision to leave the Christian faith, and therefore the band, made the band break, break up.
1: What an extreme statement. <laughs> I know, right? Like it's, I know, that seems real intense. It's almost like he, it's it was like an ultimatum that he made for himself. Yeah. Or, I don't know, maybe somebody else made it for him. But, yeah, that's... I know,
0: it's just something, his decision to leave the Christian faith and therefore, the band. And
1: therefore, the band. It's like, man, jeez, man. Whew.
0: I hope everybody's I okay.
1: That's all I. That's all I. I know. But hey, know. they
0: did re. They did reunite in 2011, and I guess they're still making music. Kylan,
1: did they ever reunite in 2011? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, there was a GoFundMe, and they raised over two hundred thousand dollars to make a new album. Are you serious? And I had no idea. Engine of a million plots and it is incredible. Is it really good? It's so good. I love it. Is it is it more
0: ska or did have they like rotate have they pivoted to it something else? It's or?
1: everything you would want in an album. Coming out now from a ska band from the nineties. Okay, okay. That's all I'm gonna say. Just listen to it. It's incredible.
0: All right, maybe maybe we'll cover it one day. Yeah, it's
1: know. it's wonderful. I'm so glad it it exists. I was a little worried about it whenever the news of their reformation and the GoFundMe came out, just because like they're a precious band to me. Like in my right kind of nostalgic music brain. Well, it seems like this went a little. A little better than the DC Talk Cruise. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say yes. But yeah, no, it's it's a great album and they killed it. Um, yeah, so what I got on Five Iron is, I'm, I'm basically reading this straight off of Wikipedia as well, but um, I'll try to jump around if we have anything that's overlapping. A little summary blurb about Five Iron is that they're an American band formed in Denver, Colorado in 1995, best known for playing ska punk music characterized by an offbeat sense of humor and prominent Christian themes. Five Iron was one of the pioneering figures of the Christian ska movement, which emerged with ska's mainstream revival in the 1990s.
0: Okay, but but what besides Five Iron Frenzy and OC Supertones, what is the Christian ska scene?
1: I'm going to say the uh, only other band that I know of is the Insiders. I don't know them. But that's it. That's <laughs> It's those three that that's I'm aware it, that's of. That's um, But you bring up a good question as far as what other ska was going on at the time. And yeah, as far as Christian ska, I wouldn't have any idea. The other bands um, in the ska or the third wave of ska. Skana- I like ska <laughs> so Let's stick with that. <laughs> Among those bands uh, is No Doubt, The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Voodoo Glow Skulls, Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, The Aquabats, and that's about it for me. There are a bunch of others here, but I don't know any of them. Yeah, I, I thought this was interesting too. The origins of Five Iron Frenzy go back to a band that they had originally called Exhumator.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I was reading about this.
1: Which is a Denver-based Christian industrial thrash metal project.
0: So they were like Christian Nine-Inch
1: Nails? I, that's the picture I get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which featured Reese Roper, which, as you mentioned, is the vocalist, guitarists Micah Ortega and Scott Kerr, bassist Keith Horrig, and drummer Andrew Verdicchio. So, basically, like, the core of Five Iron Frenzy was this metal band.
0: So, they were a metal band and then they just kind of transitioned into ska.
1: Essentially, I think they, like, lost interest in metal and decided that ska was where it was at. So, they were like, okay, let's be a ska band. I
0: I transitioned from being in a metal band of writing country music
1: there you go humble beginnings metal is
0: a young man's game right i will say that metal is a young man's game unless you're like slayer i'm just like i i can't keep up that amount of anger and energy like you know what seems it seems way more
1: fun way more fun and and but but other than that that's the one difference i see between the energy Mm -hmm. level in ska and metal like the only difference is metal is angry right? because ska is like is just the happy, fast version of metal, I guess, as far as energy level for a live show. That's
0: true. Dude, I, I read somewhere. It was like a tweet or something that said ska music sounds like what's going on in a 13 year old's head when they get pizza. That's it. And I've never heard a more accurate description of ska. That's it. I don't know who wrote that. I would give them credit if I did. But
1: I always think about that. Yeah,
0: like it's just so happy. It's just so fun. It's like,
1: yeah, pizza. This is awesome. (laughs) I'm gonna dance. Like, I mean, the Aquabats have a song about Friday being pizza day at school. So,
0: so I, I, I'm curious about that though. I'm, I'm curious about that perspective. Of, I do feel like SCA does seem. I'm trying to think of the right word. Immature is not the right word. Mm -hmm. The same way I think a lot of emo bands really resonated with like high school kids, you know, there there's a certain naivety within Ska and just like positivity. Yes. That I think is really interesting. And, And I don't really have anything to add to that, except I just think that's interesting. I don't know if you have you have any perspective on that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think I think there is sort of a parallel between the the atmosphere and the emotion in high school and emo that parallel. Right. I think you're dead on there. And then again, I think that ska is reminiscent of that same atmosphere and feeling of like middle school or even like late elementary of just like, Right. But, but that's the thing I'm
0: curious about. Is that just because that's around the time I was introduced to a lot of these ska bands?
1: Possibly. I think it's impossible to separate that because we just have those associations. Um, for us as listeners yeah you know I'll say this I love the childish or childlike I should say uh, wonder and like fun that ska brings up in me even now as a as a 30 year old like I'm right totally receptive to that energy when I listen to that music I don't I don't have any desire to push back on it
0: I get that yeah that totally makes sense like it, it makes me want to put on my checkered vans and go hang out at the skate park
1: right embrace it man have some grape soda yeah exactly (laughs) exactly
0: before like all this being an adult where you think like the worst problem is that the skate park closes at eight yes you know exactly yeah well that's what i like about ska in general because you know it definitely did come out of the whole punk movement but it it's not angry it's not political it's not I, I think that's something that is unique to ska in general yes is that it's really
1: positive and to me Five Iron is the poster child for that idea because to push back a little bit on what you're saying when I think about OC Supertones as you mentioned them being one of the other three <laughs> Christian ska bands yeah um, they have a lot of songs that are pretty, you know. I, I guess they their songs messaging has some overt religious m- messaging, or maybe right. even political or social m- movement ideas. Um, that could could come off as a little angry. I never felt that way about it, but I could see how somebody would listen to that and be like, "Man, that guy's kind of mad." Um, right. Whereas, like. It's it's hard for me. And again, this might be my my own bias, but it's hard for me to hear Reese Roper sing about like getting a wedgie and think, "Oh, that guy's mad." Like, right. I can yeah. just hear him grinning ear to ear as he's singing about all of this. Even if it's like a painful memory or something, he's like yeah. He's he's very positive about it. Um which which I appreciate. I feel like they're right in the center of that that positivity that we're talking about.
0: I think so. I love that. I love that, too. I think, you know, going back to bad brains, I like keeping the PMA, positive mental attitude. Mm hmm. And I think that it's something that's very specific within this time period and within this scene.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jumping back into this uh, Wikipedia article about them. um, because I think it has a, a lot to do with what we're talking about. Five Iron experienced their greatest commercial success during the late 1990s as a part of the American Scott revival, touring prolifically within both Christian and secular markets where the band gained a cult following for their energetic live shows typified by humorous stage antics, which often drew attention to various social causes and charities. So again, talking about positivity, one thing I, I have always loved about them is like they're goofy. But at the same time, they have heart and sincerity at their core and they have a desire to, they they seem to over their career have had a desire to enact real social change or help in whatever small way they could. Um, and I love that. I think that's great.
0: Yeah, I think that's really cool. So have you ever seen them live?
1: No, not once. I have not either. I watched uh, a friend's DVD of a live performance of theirs. How was it? Was it energetic and goofy? Insane, man. So fun. I It just made me want to be there. They also uh, played Cornerstone before a lot of big bands, and that was kind of how they gained a lot of their... I was, I
0: was reading about that. It said they did an impromptu set. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm still curious about how that worked because as someone that's played Cornerstone, obviously though I played it about ten or so years later after they did. Right. To do like, did they just like crash a stage and start playing? Because I could also see that happening. Yeah. I could totally see that happening.
1: I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of those sort of guerrilla DIY. Generator stage setups that they just threw together and played a set because they knew that they had the ears of like certain label representatives. Um, but, but I, I know that that happened all the time. Um, for, right. for context for our listeners, if you don't know what Cornerstone is, it's basically Christian Woodstock Festival. Yep. Uh, yep. and it doesn't happen anymore, sadly, but, uh, Kylan and I both have experience with the festival and it's a blast. It is really fun. And it's where a lot of these, sort of alternative or weird Christian music bands found their fan base or found some notoriety or, or were um, where they were able to get some awareness about what they were doing.
0: Yeah, definitely. So like for a little more context, like the year that my band played Cornerstone, the headliners were Anne Berlin it was right off the Cities album and Under Oath, or like two of the really big headliners, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I, I think I think Christian Woodstock is is a good. It, it wasn't really like worship music. It was just, although there was definitely a lot of that. It was more right. It was more. Like Christian rock bands, like a lot of the bands that. that And really,
1: you got a little bit of everything because there were a lot of folk artists. um, And there were even electronic bands playing music that happened to be Christian bands. Um, A little bit of everything at Cornerstone. It was a really cool place and way to find, discover, and fall in love with a lot of bands. Yeah, oh, definitely. So they they really uh, made the most of it, I think. And uh, yeah, I just love that they're kind of a goofy band that is fine to lean into self-deprecation in a goofy way and be kind of absurd and also like lean into pop culture references and geek culture references. Yeah. Uh, um, one thing I wanted to mention too, as we talk about... Their nature as this goofy, plucky little band from Denver that doesn't really care about the fame or fortune, but also acknowledges the pros and the cons of those things. I researched a little bit about their label, uh, 5-Minute Walk Records, which is at least the label they were on when they released this album, and I just found a little blurb about them that I wanted to share because I think it lines up with what we've said about them so far. They're called Five Minute Walk Records and they were run as a Christian ministry, primarily uh supporting various charities such as homeless shelters and orphanages. And so I just really like that 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 it aligns with 500 and Frenzy's desire to just play music and do some good. I I really yeah, love that. I think that's
0: really cool. So yeah. Let, let's go in a little bit more about the context of the album and your memories with the album. What about it specifically? Do you remember? I'm real curious about that because like I said, I don't have a lot of context. I remember Sucker Punch and Oh Canada. Mm-hmm. Those are like the two that I really remember from this record.
1: Oh yeah. Those are great songs. They stick out for me as well. Um, I think the, the top Song in my mind when I think of this album is Every New Day. And that's that's just this beautiful closer that's like transcendent and you know like we talked about is very positive. I I still get pretty emotional when I listen to that song.
0: Okay, well, like what what is that song? I don't like I said I'm not super familiar, so
1: uh I don't know. I guess a lot of my connection with it is more feeling based than anything necessarily about it sonically or lyrically but it's okay a song that to me just they're talking about in the context of christian theology they talk about jesus making every day feel new um for them personally and so for me it's this message of positivity of like even if you have a hard day or like a bad night or a rough conversation or you're feeling down on your luck you know the sun's gonna rise tomorrow and you'll have a new a new day then and so again kind of like towing the line of sincerity and silliness um mm-hmm. that song to me is like this beautiful earnest song of like redemption and hope so i love that sweet yeah like like i said i'm
0: not super familiar with it but I'm real stoked to listen to it yeah uh the ever important question based on our last two episodes you gotta tell me the context what is your memory of this album while riding your bike <laughs> <laughs> where where were you oh man what bike path did you take what what was the scenery the, you know I need you to lay out a scene for us
1: honestly I was probably riding my bike to my friend John's house to have band practice. Which basically was just us drinking a lot of soda and writing down lyrics that were probably terrible, so I was probably riding my bike to his house, listening to this album.
0: There you go. So like, what age were you when you first found this album?
1: Um, I'm gonna say sixteen, sophomore year, junior year, something like that of high school, okay
0: yeah okay. yeah that that was about the time that I heard. Five Iron Frenzy as well. Yeah. And I think I think for me, I know for a fact that Sucker Punch was on a compilation album. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look it up. Okay. Of what compilation album it was. But it was sort of like, uh, you know, the way when we were in high school and stuff like Victory Records. Right. Kind of did a thing. It was maybe like a tooth and nail or a warp tour. Like, you know, it was some kind of compilation album. And I heard that and I was like. What is this? This is awesome. And I was probably I was probably about the same age. It was probably like fifteen, sixteen. Nice.
1: Superpowers is also one that comes to mind. Oh um,
0: yeah, yeah. I
1: forgot about that. It it just seems like this fun song for like a montage for a superhero movie or maybe a cartoon. Probably a cartoon. Probably. I
0: I feel like all ska music. Well, okay. So here's another weird context thing. For me, I feel like a lot of 90s cartoon theme songs were ska music. Completely. So I do associate, like, uh, Angry Beavers, a Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. Like, I feel like there were a lot of shows around that time where the theme song was ska music. So anytime I hear it, I do have this nostalgia for cartoons and, and for middle school and a different point in my life. So I, I guess that that kind of leads into... How do you think this album's going to hold up? I guess, I guess, I guess I need you to ask the question.
1: You know? Is it a flop or a bop? Yeah. Will our newest album ever from 1997 be a flop or a bop? I don't know. I want to say it's going to be a bop. Acknowledging my own bias and my own heavy nostalgia for this album.
0: All right. All right. So... I'm, I'm so excited about this because I think based on my context with ska music and how I think there was a lot of music that sounded just like this around (laughs) this time, this is the first time, I know we're only three episodes in, it's the first time in Church Jams Now history, I think it's going to be a flop. Okay, fair enough. But I'm excited to be proven wrong. Yeah, me too. Either, Either way. I think, I think what I mean by that is... I don't know if this is going to have anything interesting to offer.
1: To 2020 Kylan. Right. And I think in terms of
0: like, you know, I, I think for me, my rubric for Flopper Bop is if I listen to this now for the first time, but still had all the other music that I've listened to throughout my life, does this album offer something interesting and new? Like something that that I could, that would come on a Spotify playlist if I just heard it, I would be like, yeah, this is, this is solid.
1: Right. Something would sort of prick your ear and cause you to dig into the band more. Exactly.
0: And I don't know if this is going to do that.
1: Hmm. Okay. I know. Right. I know
0: there's a twist right there. What a twist. Like I said, I want to be, I want to be proven wrong.
1: Yeah. No, I I can't wait to see. But I'm curious, too, in in terms of like
0: other ska bands at the time, you know, like you said, Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, No Doubt. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if this is going to bring something new to the table for me. And I feel like musically, it's probably not. So I think it's for me going to come down to lyrics, Mm. which is weird for me because I'm not a big lyrics guy. I know we talked about that before. I'm more of a vibe guy. You're more of a lyrics guy. Right. So I think I'm going to go in this time focusing a little bit more on lyrics than I usually do cuz I think that I think that's what's that that's what's going to be the the selling point for me.
1: That's so interesting because ska in my opinion is not often known for its strong lyricism. Right. No, I know, so. <laughs> I know. I know this is this is going to be interesting. I might,
0: I might be I might be setting up the album for failure. And I apologize for that. But I
1: will say, at the same time, I will say that I think Reese is a super interesting lyricist. Okay. And I like his vocal uh, performances. I enjoy his delivery. So maybe there's something there for you.
0: I don't know. Sweet. Okay. Well, I'm excited. So I guess we're going to take a short little break. We're going to listen to the album. And we'll be back to discuss it in-depth, probably entirely too much depth. But, you know, that's what we do on Church Jams now.
1: That's right. We'll just keep picking it up, picking it up, picking it up. Hey, hey, Jammers. TJ here with a quick reminder about our Patreon. You know, if you like what we do, you're digging the podcast, and you want to dig a little deeper, um, you can support us on Patreon. There's all kinds of different tiers that we have available, starting as low as $2 a month. Uh, you can get early episodes, uh, and then other tiers include bonus content and something that we're really excited about called the Cover of the Month Club. So if that's something you'd be interested in, you can find and support us on Patreon.com or through the Patreon app just by searching Church Jams Now. All right, thanks.
0: All right, welcome back to Church Jams Now. We're back. Uh, we Yeah, we just got back listening To our newest album ever I will give a little bit I don't know this might be a little inside baseball but typically the way we've done this for the last two records is we usually record the first part and then we've both kind of taken a day to listen to the records and then come back and record a part two the next day this is the very first time that we literally were recording took exactly an hour long break and listen to the record. So this is going to be a little bit more first impressions than the previous. Like I haven't had as much time to kind of digest it all. You know, I think there's something to be said for that. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah.
1: I think it's all right to be fresh right off the cuff. Sweet. So
0: I, I know, I know you just had a question before we realized that I wasn't recording.
1: Yeah. Kylan, I'm curious as to, um, in regard to previous episodes and what seems to be a trend for the podcast, what do you think about the bass? Oh man, I got I got so many bass notes. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm super stoked. So, should we dive right in? Let's get into it, man. All right. Well, let's start with track one, "Handbook for the Sellout."
1: Man, what an intro! Yeah, yeah. They waste no time just getting right into the music.
0: Yeah, they just got right into it. Although I did think for a ska album, I was initially really disappointed because there were no horns right in the intro, but then they come in right at like 18 seconds. Yeah. And then. Yeah, they were just making you wait a little yeah, bit. Just, just a
1: little bit. All right. So what did you think about this? I love it as an intro track. Because I think it sets this precedent of like we mentioned before, a band that doesn't take itself too seriously but still has something to say. Right.
0: No, I, I wrote down this felt very much like a mission statement. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's a little manifesto. Yeah, though.
0: it was definitely a mission statement. In terms of lyrics, I thought I kind of yeah. it was sort of a thesis for the band as a whole. Right. I thought I, I thought it was great. I thought lyrically it was
1: really good. I was I was really yeah, especially considering that they as a band never really seemed to be people who cared about the fame or fortune of being a band. Right. Like they were really just interested in impacting people positively and creating art that they were passionate about. Yeah. And this song just like like you're saying is a manifesto for that, which is really fun and the music reflects that too like it's very it's got a little grit to it it's got a little edge but it's also pretty like upbeat and fun
0: yeah yeah definitely I really enjoyed the lyrics like as as a musician I think I related to this quite a bit and there's a couple songs on the record that especially like the first part of
1: the record that I totally related yeah. to yeah they're really a band's band when it comes to lyrics exactly
0: but the whole part, do you think that they're too cool now? Being popular is lame. You're the only one You're yeah. the one that who made them popular. All their songs are still the same. It's like, "Dang, yes. dude." Yeah, I yeah. I get that. I think that's I, I think it's it. coming out
1: real strong lyrically. Agreed. And the uh, trumpet part and then that aggressive breakdown. It's yeah. like really angry. Yeah. Kind of keeps again some of that musical edge that lines up with the lyrical cutting idea of like being upset at a band for quote unquote selling out yeah exactly and it's great to bring it back
0: to what you're saying at two minutes 20 seconds there's some sweet bass it's the beginning of that breakdown i love it i love it uh so it is very ska it is part of the ska for
1: sure it is indeed And then at the very end, that little off tune with all the horns. Yeah, I love, yeah, in the breakdown
0: and then towards the end. I love how sloppy the horns are. You know, they sound real. There are parts where they're not like totally in tune. They're not super tight. Yeah,
1: they're real. They're live. They're present. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I I thought this was a great album opener. I thought it started out really strong. Absolutely. Moving right along. I think so. So... I will say though, okay, I'm going to say this up front. I wrote this down later in my notes. Specifically, I think for ska, I understand the need for like instrumental breaks. I felt some of the songs mm-hmm. were way too long, which is which yeah, is yeah, I agree. Because like I know we talked about that with Jesus Freak, but those songs are like six minutes. Some of these songs are only like three minutes, but they still feel yeah. way too long. I mean, because I kind of just wish they would. Use the more punk model, like the Ramones or something. Of a sparser song. It's like song. some of these songs that are four minutes really only need to be like two and a half minutes. Yeah, agreed. But then again, I get that because then they wouldn't. I mean, the album would be 20 minutes long, but.
1: And I think as a small pushback to that, that live the structure of these songs works in a way that keeps the energy up. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I'm sure that when they're performing, they can engage with the audience in a way that makes that third repeated chorus still feel a hundred percent.
0: And I I do think a lot of this kind of comes out of they're, they're one of those bands that I totally relate to that there's no way that an album recording is going to compare to their live show. Right. It's not going to translate. And I think a lot of this kind of suffers from that. I think as a record, I think some of those breakdowns and stuff do not translate to an enjoyable listening experience as opposed to like an enjoyable live
1: experience, you know? Yeah. And as a testament to that, even as I mentioned in the first half of our volume here, uh, watching the video of one of their live shows, when I hear these songs... The recorded versions. What I think of is the energy from that video of their live performance. So even watching a video of it was engaging enough for right. me. They were engaging enough performers that I could watch a video of them and then hear this recorded version of the song and, and feel right. that. I get that high yeah. energy. So, so I, I
0: didn't do that. So I'm curious to see how that translates to our perceptions of the record. Right. So I guess we can go ahead and move on to song number two. Where is Micah?
1: Micah Kylan,
0: I don't know, dude. I loved this song too. They didn't know. I, this song is really fun.
1: I like that you love it because, like, I have a hard time liking it more than just a sort of goofball. Song. Well, yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. But this kind of goes back to what I was saying how the first part of the record is very relatable. They're like a band's band. I don't know if, yes. like, for mass consumption, if this is like this, this does just feel like a bunch of dudes goofing, like, it sounds like. Some crazy nonsense that 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 we would write after yes. just hanging out and drinking some beers and just totally goofing around.
1: Yeah, it really feels like there's a story behind this song that most people will ever will never right. know. Well,
0: my, Mike was probably just always late. <laughs> Which I get. Right. I get. I've been on both sides of that. Yep. But as much as I love it... Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and, and show my cards here a little bit. I came up with an alternate track list for the record. Okay. I don't know because I don't feel like this is a great second track.
1: This feels a little more self-indulgent. Yes. To be... Yes, I agree. I think that's why I have a harder time with it is because of where it's placed in, in the album. Yeah. So I I would love yeah, to hear what I, you I think, and Where and, do you think it belongs? I
0: can, I can share all that at the end but I think it would work better if it was later on the album after you're kind of eased in. But this being the second track just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever.
1: Yeah. I wrote, how is this a song? Yeah. Um, (laughs) so I think Again, to your point that it it belongs a little further down in the album.
0: Because I mean I even wrote, Um, I guess I forgot I wrote this. I I asked the question, is this album worthy? It's a fun song. I love the kind of with the horns and stuff, they go into a little bit of like a mariachi feel. So musically I,
1: I wrote musically that's interesting. It's the horn the horn part sounds like a like a Spanish classical horn idea, or even like a high school band pep rally song. Yeah. yeah. You'd hear to get the football team hyped exactly. up. Exactly.
0: But if you're in a band, it's super relatable. But I don't know. Right. I, I, I don't know if it belongs on the album, but it 100% does not need to be the second track on the album. Agreed. That's about all I got for this one, too. Same. Not a whole lot. All right. So we're just rocking and rolling through this. Let's move on to track number three. Rocking and rolling, baby. Superpowers.
1: All right, what you got? Superpowers. Well, first off, I got to say, how about that bass line? That's my first note. That's my first note. Very simple, but like tasteful, catchy. I know. Sweet bass, man. I love this song, man. It is so cheeseball, but in an endearing way. And again, I think it goes back to that thing that we keep talking about how they're a band's band. If
0: you've been in a band, Um, this song is your anthem. It's so relatable. But it's not relatable to everybody, but it did just like speak to me and like it spoke to my heart a little bit. And I kind of, I just so related. Like my favorite thing about it is I loved the juxtaposition of the verse lyrics and the chorus lyrics. Yes. Because the verse is all about just how it is to be in a band. Yeah. It's a rough life. You know, being in a van with a bunch of smelly dudes and sleeping on a floor and all that. But then the chorus is, we've been given superpowers, ask us for our our autograph. We sing, we dance, we'll make you laugh. Don't you wanna be like us? I think that's so good. (laughs) That juxtaposition is what makes the song, I think.
1: Yeah, especially because they create this blown out of proportion romanticized caricature of what it is to be a quote unquote rock star. And that chorus does drive that home. As a kid, I remember listening to that and being like, yeah, I believe that the chorus is the reality and the verses are like just Reese being funny about right. stuff. And then the more I the <laughs> older got, I got, the more, the more experience yeah. I had being in a band, the more I realized that the verses were the truth and the chorus was right. just a funny juxtaposition. Yeah, uh, What's your favorite lyric about the reality of being in a band?
0: I wrote that down. Okay, the funniest thing is there so much that I relate to, but my favorite line is, sometimes we have a deadline for writing our songs, five minutes left to write this one, and then he just goes in the la-la-las.
1: Sometimes we have a deadline for writing our songs, five minutes left to write this one, la 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 La, la, I think la. that's
0: so funny. <laughs> that is so funny to me. So good. But that's also from my perspective of like, I mean, because CJ, you, <sighs> you know how many times we've played shows where you've played with my band, where I totally have this perspective of I have a chorus and one verse written. No one, none no one in the band had ever heard it, but I was like, I'm so tired of singing our songs let's play this new song and fit and let's 15 new minutes one. before we go on outside of the venue. You don't even have your drums because they're, they're up on the stage already. <laughs> We're just all standing in a circle in the parking lot. Yep. And I'm just like, Hey, let's play this new song. And half of it is just la la's or do do's because.
1: Whoa, whoa, <laughs> exactly. whoa.
0: Exactly. No, I thought that was so funny. What about you? What's your favorite lyric?
1: Well, my my favorite experientially has got to be eight people in a stinky van, a couple more couldn't hurt. My face to the window, my shirt. Eight people in a stinky van. A couple more couldn't hurt. And actually, that is less about touring life with a band and more about like missions trips. Oh yeah. Or I was on the tennis team in high school, and we would have away tournaments, you know.
0: You're on the tennis team?
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, I was. Now you know. Inside baseball, listeners. Inside tennis ball. Yeah, so that line, (laughs) like, you know, middle school and high school bodies, let's just keep it at they smell a lot of times. And so there's a real sense memory attached to that lyric for me, unfortunately. Um, However, my favorite line from a writer's perspective is how he somehow successfully rhymes. um, Everyone in the band can't stand me just because I fell off the stage and kind of by accident, I broke the promoter's legs. legs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He somehow, his delivery works it in does. a way that you kind of hate I know, I know. and love at the same I time. Know. It should not
0: work. I it love that. It should not work it from shouldn't. a singing perspective, but because he's got that kind of nasally, you know, punk rock ska voice, it totally works.
1: And he just pronounces words however the hell he wants, No, I basically. know. I thought
0: about that in the first song, too. <laughs> there was, I love it. There was one line where he says, mediocre, but he stretches out the O. And it just like yes. it's so weird. None of, none of it should work, but it totally does. Also, he slips in a Jack Kerouac I was say, reference. And Holden Caulfield. I wrote that down.
1: And Holden. Yeah. Paul. So
0: that does feel incredible. Like, I love it, but it does also feel like high school, college. Me oh, would have yeah. been like, oh, that's so deep. Jack Kerouac yeah. and Holden Caulfield. It's just like, yeah, right, I mean, okay. But it works. It 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 works for the song.
1: It does, but you kind of shake your fist at them. You're like, I know, I Darn know, you. it should not work. <laughs> also, I want to make the point that I love the structure of this song lyrically because there's the, the point you made about the juxtaposition of the reality of being a musician and then like what most people looking from the outside in think that it is. But there's also this idea that the first two thirds of the song is painting this picture of what it is to be a musician, either true or romanticization, then there's one line that says something that feels like a message. Just one line, one single line. Don't want to rock the mic, don't want to meet the Pope, I just want to share with you how we got this peace and hope. Yeah.
0: I mean, that, that, that's that's it. also mission statement. E as well, you know, like that, it is. that is, um, I like it because I think it balances out that I once wanted to be famous. Now I want to take it back,
1: Right. you know, cause that,
0: I mean, that's just sad, but I get, I get yeah. that, but it, it balances right. out with that. We just want to spread a message of peace and hope. And I think that, that goes right. along with, you know, everything we talked about in context of the band themselves, like how, you know, they tried to use what they did for good like raising money for different organizations and stuff and they just right if they just seem like a band like they just wanted to hang out and i love that
1: i I just make music and do some good i so love that yeah me too and i just love that it's one line the whole song you know they're talking about polish hot dogs and stinky vans and then just just there at the end it's like eh, we got this peace and hope they just slipped it in yeah, I like that it's kind of simple and tasteful. Yeah, I agree.
0: Musically, I really like, from, from that bridge where you talk about that, going back into the chorus, I love that turn. I love it. It just, the song flows really well. Yes. Especially, I will say, the first and second songs don't really follow a typical song structure. Like, they don't really have, like, they kind right. of have choruses, but the choruses don't feel that much different from the verses. Mm-hmm. And so I did really appreciate this one as, you know, it, it, there is definitely a change between the verse and the chorus musically, like forgetting right. lyrically, just musically, they transitioned in into each other really, really well in a way that right. I guess is more like typical pop songwriting structure. But, right. but there's and a reason, interesting but there's to a the reason as that well. That works. And I think that. They didn't really achieve that on the first two songs, but they did on this one, for sure. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on to track number four, Fistful of Sand. Mm -hmm. All right, so first off, I loved that there is a real gypsy feel to this. You know, the kind of yeah. minor, almost like Arabian. I got I got a real, like I said, a, a real gypsy feel.
1: Yeah, I wrote down Dick Dale. Yeah, like yeah. Miserloo or like Wipeout, kind of like that. Yeah, it's kind of got an Arabian kind of feel, but like also kind of surfy. I don't know. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. Uh, there was Sweet Bass. I wrote that down. Of course, there's Sweet yes. Bass in this one. Um what Very I liked about bass. this song too I thought this was a really angry song. Yes. But I thought that that, is. that, that was a nice change of pace, you know, from from the other mm-hmm. songs thus far on the record.
1: Yeah, and it's to me one thing that stuck out too as you were talking about sort of the pop song structure of um superpowers. Fistful of Sand, on the other hand, to me. And this it might be to its credit is compositionally all over right. the place. It really jumps around the chord progressions and like the horn melodies are pretty busy and and seem very random at first listen. Right. But it's still a solid song. So I don't know. I guess that works in this in this case.
0: Yeah, but okay, here here's my problem with this song though. It's a story song, right? And he does he and right. he switches lyrically. He switches the narrative from talking about the hero of the song to himself. Right. That totally works. But I felt the instrumental stuff was way too long. Yeah. I think they needed to they needed to tighten it up because part of me wants them to cut out that last verse simply just listening to it, but it also works within the song. And I think if they had just cut out the instrumental and just... You know, all in the bridge and after the bridge and stuff. If they had cut all that out and just kept it a little tighter musically, I think the the story element of it would work
1: a lot better. Would be stronger. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it felt way too long. Like two minutes in,
1: I was over it. I will say, I think that uh, is a strength for this song when played live because they can really lean into the theatricality of it. Right. Because they have more space in the song to kind of do some silly stuff. And especially because they're a very performative band, I could see it working really well live, but I agree when you're just listening to the song, you get kind of bored.
0: Right. But if you think about it in terms of like other story songs, they're either very concise, you know, you think of like some Johnny Cash songs and stuff, and he just kind of goes all the way through. Or if you think of it in terms of like the Decemberists, which have like the Mariners song and all that stuff, but what they do is they give a lot of space for it to breathe, but it changes musically and instrumentally. And they don't do that with this. Like if they had added in, well, they, if they had added in more like maybe some different instruments or some instrumentation, right? then I think that that could have worked. But ultimately, I think it just kind of makes the song fall a little flat.
1: I agree that they could have been a little more inventive and creative with that with extending the song i do like how they drop down to that kind of plunky bass that boom, yes. boom no i love the boom, bridge the bridge boom. is and then so good
0: and and the build yeah. from the bridge from that like real where he kind of whispers and then the screaming the screaming is rad he's just yelling oh, it's so good yeah
1: it's so good that part works so it sort of redeems itself by the end of the song, I would it does, say. It does, but... There's that kind of slump moment, and then it picks back up. Yeah, but
0: you could have you, you could have easily cut out a minute from this song, and I would be... Right. I'd be totally fine. Pleased with it, yeah. Got anything else for Fistful of Sand? No. That's it. All right, cool. Well, let's move on to track number five. Like I said, we're just we're just blasting through this compared to burning through it compared to how deep we got into how much we hated Jesus freak <laughs> because uh, that's the thing with this too. Like so far I really like it. I don't love it. Right. But it's good. I don't feel like there's a whole lot to say. It is ska music. So, you know, like I said, I'm trying to focus on lyrics and I'm trying to focus on how the music complements the lyrics and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't think Personally, I have quite as much to say about each individual song because they're, you know, they're pretty similar. But let's move on to track number five Sucker Punch. Number five Sucker Punch. This is the first Five Iron Frenzy song I think I ever heard. Really? Yeah. Cool. It's great. It's so good. It's so Uh, good. That intro is so good. It reminds me of, like we said before, uh, it sounds like a cartoon intro. You know, it reminds me of Angry Beavers. Especially those horns. Yeah. It's so good. And I get why I related to this song so much in middle school. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? Because it is it it's it's the quintessential uh, middle school punk ska song.
1: Yes. Oh, you don't have friends? That's okay. Just listen to Five Iron Frenzy.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> Which is both like so sweet and beautiful and kind of sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm not mad about it. I really feel like um as we've talked about them having a lot of elements of like Mission statements or manifestos. To me, this feels like an anthem for the band. That's coming straight from their heart. Right.
0: Well, what I like too is lyrically throughout it. He paints such a vivid picture. Whenever I heard the song before, and whenever I hear it now, I picture it all in my head. Like I see the mu. Like I see a music video. Not not the actual music video they made, but I see a music video of like a real.
1: You've got your own
0: geeky kid with backpack and the you know the
1: pocket protector
0: and everything
1: spilling something from their backpack. yeah i will say though
0: i kind of hated i don't don't know hated is really strong it felt very weird to me the super religious aspect of the second half of the chorus Mm. so Mm -hmm. let me read those lyrics real quick The chorus says, a song sung for underdogs, for all the left out. A flag flying for losers somewhere in the heavens. That totally works with everything else in the song. And then he takes a hard right turn. The God of everlasting comfort believes in me. Loved me when I was faithless. He still died for me. That just seems really shoehorned.
1: It does. Unless you're known for being the seventh grader that's the cornerstone of the youth group. And everyone hates you for it, or at least makes fun of you right. for it. But but that's, and that's the funny thing. you, that, at the end of the day, like, you don't really have any friends. You don't have anybody to talk to. But you know that there's this guy named Jesus, and he's right. your buddy. I mean,
0: I get it. Like I said, I, I totally get it. It just weirded me out on this listen.
1: Well, yeah. As, as a 30-something, <laughs> like, like, in 2020, listening to this is weird. It is it's really like weird. It does feel shoehorned. forced and i think that that may be the difference for you and i like for me having that experience of listening to a song and and even listening to a song years after i had that experience but it's still being you know fresh in a way um knowing what it was like to be awkward and be in middle school and feel feel a distance i get it i mean because uh, from my peers
0: not everyone but a lot of the bands that i listened to growing up have songs about how awkward it is in middle school and high school. And, you know, it's good to yeah. give a voice that those little Christian kids can relate to.
1: Yeah. And at least there's that line in the middle of the chorus that kind of t- ties the two ideas right. together. Like it starts out as this just general anthem for underdogs, but then the line, a flag flying for losers somewhere in the heavens that you mentioned, like, I like that that kind of hinges the ideas together. Yeah. No, um, I g- but I agree. It, it It's a little forced.
0: It's a little weird. It's a little weird, but but I get it. you know i'm I'm conflicted in terms of this. like I get it. yeah, I totally get it. It makes sense to me, but it does just feel a little weird, especially especially yeah. I will say in the context of the whole record, there's only one other song that i that I think feels a lot you know, similarly worshipy. Right, I got. I don't know. (laughs) I got nothing else to say about it. It just feels weird. It feels weird. It feels weird, but I get it. That's all I'm gonna say.
1: It does, yeah. And I think that that goes back to what we've been saying about how they they really toe the line of like silliness and sincerity. And they just do it unashamedly, which I, that's what I find really endearing about them as a band and, and why I'm okay with it. Even when I can call it out and say like, that's ridiculous. That's over the top. Yeah. I can, I can kind of say it with a smile, you know, I'm like, you guys, like, I mean, it does fit within
0: the context of them as a band. Like it, it, it makes sense to me. I get it. For sure. All right. Uh, you got anything else about Sucker Punch? Nope. Oh, oh, I will say real quick, I did enjoy in the verses, you know, they don't really do like I said, they don't do verse, pre chorus, chorus, repeat. Yes. But they have a little bit right. of a pre chorus in this, in that they repeat the line, giving meaning to pencil neck geek, a dork or so yeah. to speak, tongue in cheek. That's great. That's that's yeah, really that good. Is great. that's really good. I can totally dig that.
1: Yeah, solid news system. Yeah.
0: All right, so let's do track number six, Kitty Doggy. Kitty Doggy. I'm not even pulling this one up. I <laughs> I got one thing to say about this. <laughs> but I also, this is another thing. This goes back to the where's Micah thing. Yes. I get it in that this feels like one of those ideas that sounds super fun when you've been recording 16 hours a day for two weeks and it's three in the morning <laughs> and also you're a christian band so you're probably not drinking like this feels like some dumb you gotta find some dumb shit we did like in high school
1: you gotta find those laughs somewhere and man everyone thought it was so
0: funny very funny. but it's objectively not if you're not there
1: yeah and i don't know whether this is like a good thing or a bad thing but what it rem- reminds me of is early bands that I was in when we would get so bored with practicing the same songs over and over again we would switch instruments right so like I was I was primarily a drummer I would get on the guitar And just make some nonsensical noise that was just the most offensive thing that your ears have ever heard. And then, you know, the bassist gets on the drums, and the guitarist gets on the bass, and they just make noise together, and they think it's the best thing that anybody's ever heard. It's so funny. It's so
0: funny. But if you're not there, it's like, okay, cool. Such a waste of time. (laughs) It does not need to be on this record.
1: I mean, this this, to me... But, well, I was going to say, but it does again line up with their ethos as a it band it
0: does it does but to me for better or for worse to me, kitty doggy is more egregious than the jesus freak <laughs> reprise really it is it is wow i know, I know them spine I know, words i know it just it has <laughs> no place on this record i think i hate them the same yeah <laughs> it's similar and like Mrs. Morgan and stuff.
1: Like it's just like Right. Like what's the point, man? What? I think that you and I are a little different in the in the sense that I am in general okay with these off to the side random noise sketches. Yeah. Um whatever they are, I just like I let them wash over me and I don't really have much of an opinion. Yeah. But I just I accept it as a part of the album. Doesn't mean I love it, but I like am just okay see. I I don't. I don't.
0: Yeah. I I guess you're right. Because even on because you know I feel like this tradition came out specifically in a lot of early '90s hip hop records, and I I skip yeah. them every time, every time, <laughs> because. I don't know. I, I don't know. May, maybe maybe it's because, like, I, I've done this. I've done this exact same thing, this, that Kitty Doggy did. Oh, yeah. And I've done we all this have. stupid <laughs> with all my friends. But also, I think for me, coming from, you know, performing and writing songs and writing albums and even doing stand-up for a short period of time, I don't love wasted space in a record
1: right you want to create quality content that doesn't waste time or waste the listeners energy or attention yeah yeah
0: and i feel i feel like this that makes know, I sense feel like this does a little bit like i i don't i don't fault no, them i agree for it's doing a total waste it of time. because like i said i have done it i have 100 percent done it i've written right. some stupid songs with all my friends <laughs> but I don't understand why it needs to go on an album. I don't, I just, I don't, I don't get it because I think of it too. And in, in terms of like you watch certain movies, even if they're like really fun movies and there are those like certain scenes that, you know, there, everyone is just like goofing around, having a good time. And it was probably super fun to make, but from the viewer, or from the listener, it just doesn't translate. And it, it just it feels mean to me. It feels like I'm missing out on an inside joke. And maybe that's because oh. maybe maybe that's okay, okay. okay. I think we've just I'm tapped into something here. This is this is part of yep. me being on the spectrum. I think I I think <laughs> Let it let it happen, man. Know, I feel mad that I'm not part of the joke. I feel like I don't get the joke. Yeah. I don't get
1: it. You're upset that you weren't in the room when it was happening to be a part of it. it.
0: Man, weird, weird. That makes so much sense. Yeah, we're going deep on making breakthroughs, (laughs) baby. All right. Well, you got anything else to say? We talked about this way longer. (laughs) Like I literally wrote one line on this and I was like, all right, we're not going to talk about this at all. And I think we've talked about this longer than we've talked about any song on the record.
1: Yeah, there was just some baggage there for you, buddy, and I'm glad you're offloading it. so, yeah, yeah. Proud of you. Alright, well you wanna do the next track? <laughs> blue comb seventy-eight track seven. See through my new i go back, never going back to get it. This one i i feel like this is the song that i shouldn't like but i do yeah yeah for me it is because there's a lot of like critiques that i can throw at the song but i still end up being glad that it exists i i really appreciate that that there's this nostalgic visual that's created from the get-go i i respect the the picture that he's painting lyrically with yeah,
0: that. you know what? I think this might be my favorite song on the record. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, have we listened to your favorite song yet, or are we, we going to get there? Okay, not nope. yet.
1: We'll get there. I don't know.
0: I, I, I love the story he was telling. That's awesome. It felt really personal. You know, I mean, it, it obviously mm-hmm. was very personal, but I loved... I loved if you think about it lyrically, if you think about it story wise, taking a really seemingly insignificant thing like this blue comb, but then shining a light on how that that one tiny thing affected a lot of his outlook on life in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like like bringing it in on an emotional level to something like something that seems innocuous that turns into a much bigger thing.
1: I love that actually had a really significant impact yeah, on him. I, th-
0: I think that's great. And and yeah. I think I love too. like it seems like he's kind of mad about it, but also kind of not like there's a nostalgia element to that, too. You know, he says mm-hmm. out the window, that was the last great symbol of my youth. Yeah. Like, it seemed like a really big moment. And I get that, like everyone sort of has those moments that seem insignificant to everyone else. But to you is like a really big moment. And I love that he he brought that element in to the
1: lyrics Mm -hmm. with something as simple as losing a comb. But I love too
0: because he he even brought up like my favorite line of this is I still remember where the highway turns at the bottom of the hill. My parents both Mm -hmm. up front because they loved each other
1: still. Yeah. Like
0: just just the the youthful nostalgia of that. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I just yeah. No, you're right. I think I didn't give it enough credit lyrically um, when we listened back, because like you said, we we recorded the first half of this, then listened, then came right back. I think if I had had a second listen of it, I would have dug into the lyrical depth right. there a little more. Um, but but now that you kind of go over it, I I I think I'm reframing yeah. the song. Yeah. No, bit. I I love it. Um, I.
0: I love the fact that it takes something so small and and blows it up in a much bigger context. I think that's that's awesome. Yeah. Musically, it's it's okay. It, it's kind yeah. of the same as I think the one thing I a can, lot of the other ones. The one thing you can what?
1: The one thing I can say about it as a crucial part of this album is that it seems to be the most straight punk upbeat song, like that up-tempo. Right which i i feel like ska because they're sort of a a ska punk band they they need a song or two that has that edgy upbeat feel that you can skank to yeah you know exactly um so and then that horn part that's like ascending line was really nice too comes in at the right time to lift the song but yeah that's that's all i got.
0: so yeah this one was definitely my favorite
1: a winner for kai dog all right well let's move on to track number
0: eight banner year banner year
1: Can you tell by how I said that title how I feel about this song? <laughs> well, let's hear it. How do you feel about this song, Kylie? I just don't get it. Tell I me don't more. get it, man. What don't you get? Well, I don't know.
0: Why, why do they go into a history lesson? So far, everything else on this record is super personal. And this mm-hmm. is like a weird history lesson. Mm hmm. I don't I don't I don't know. I don't
1: know. I I don't know. Can can you help me out here? Can you can you talk about The only thing that I can think of is that I know Reese and and maybe some of the other band members they've been known to be overtly critical of blind nationalism and I can imagine that this song was an opportunity for them to tell a story that could quickly convey the evil of you know these ideas like manifest destiny and just being nationalistic for nationalism's sake and feel however you feel about it i'm just saying that's my understanding of their position again just my understanding not speaking for them but i could see how this song could be an opportunity to point out the evils of violence and one people taking over an area of another people and kind of the suffering that might uh, exist in that story. I mean,
0: that's the thing. Um, Like,
1: I I get all that,
0: but okay. Okay. This, This, this helps me out a little bit looking online. I read something specifically about this song. The content of our newest album ever continues several topic, topical threads that the band had begun to explore on their debut album. Banner Year takes mm-hmm. on the threat of historical mistreatment of Native Americans,
1: and I do love that. And I think it, I, for context, for those, it's the massacre at Sand Creek is what's yeah. mentioned in the song,
0: and I think it's great. But it, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, in in terms of the album, for me, it just seems like such an outlier. Mm-hmm. Like I wish they had either taken it out or done more things like that. Like, it it feels weird to me to talk about, here's our Polish dogs and sleeping on the floor and seventh grade sucks. All of a sudden, (laughs) the U.S. is treating Native Americans terribly. Yeah, like, no, like, I get that. I get it. But it's just such, you know, it's such a curveball to me. Right. In in terms of this album in particular. But if they'd had a couple other songs, then I think that that. Would make more sense i don't don't know is that is
1: me no i i see what you're saying especially as far as it sticking out tonally with the rest of the album i agree it does seem to be an outlier in that way and i'll say this i think musically it fits super well but lyrically it doesn't and the juxtaposition between the kind of the weight of those lyrics and the happy skippy up tempo music that was something i I mentioned feeling a little weird about the happy horn part after the bridge or around the bridge felt weird after kind of some darker lyrics mm. and so i agree I, I think it's a valid point you make i guess like for me just knowing reese's stance on certain things it never was like a surprise right. to me and as a kid listening to the song i didn't really get it right I didn't think about it. I was like, oh, there was a massacre and some people died. That's sad. Yeah. His banner over me is love and love is good. That was kind of the extent of my comprehension for the song. So I didn't really dig into it. But you're right, looking back on it, it it does seem kind of like a strange tonal shift for the album.
0: I I thought so. I, But it would be interesting if this was a turning point in the record to lead into more songs that are kind of like this. I, th- I think I think that would right. work, taking it from the personal tone into you know a wider exactly, context. Exactly, but it doesn't do that. It with a little just more seems weight. like a weird outlier. I will say though, musically, that drummer is working on this Dude, song. On this fireman in particular, man, he is working.
1: Yeah. I really like, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, apologies, but uh, Like I like his drumming style. I think that he, um, that's something that I, I meant to mention about the album as a whole, is just like, I think he mixes things up so well across the album to keep the basic ska sound interesting. Yeah, definitely um and especially here in this song. So I'm glad you brought that up cuz that yeah, is a Yeah, this, this was the first
0: one that positive. I like really noticed in particular yeah. in, in terms of all all the songs thus far. He's working his butt off, man. <laughs> He's working. Yeah, I just <laughs> a, as, you know, I was a drummer for a while too and and I know you're a drummer. Like I could just I could just feel the sweat Coming off him oh, on yeah. this song. Like he is just drumming he's going so fast and so hard.
1: Dude, I can't imagine being a ska drummer live playing yeah. shows. Like I, I would just be so I exhausted. Uh, <laughs> I did
0: notice on this song too, they don't love choruses. They don't love sing along choruses. No. It all just kind of it no. feels a lot more the whole song is sort of like the lyrics don't necessarily match the music in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. He just kind of like, it sounded like he wrote the lyrics separately. Right. And then just kind of tried to find ways to fit them into the music. Right. uh, Which kind of detracts from the album as a whole for me. But it it works for some songs. But this is the first song too on the record. I mean, we're a little over halfway and I started suffering from what I'm calling ska fatigue. (laughs) Ska fatigue very real
1: ask your doctor you know it
0: was all so good until it kind of wasn't <laughs> do you know what i mean right i just yep i started to get real tired real real tired yep all right you ready to move on to track number nine
1: let's do it all right track number nine second season Yeah, this one's uh, another change of pace a little yeah. bit.
0: Yeah, this is this is the first song that I thought that the lyrics and melody actually fit the music. Really? Yeah, yeah. This one, this one fit more than any other, I think.
1: Hmm, that's interesting because I don't know this for sure, but from some digging on the interweb, I found one sort of discography website that cites Dennis Culp as the writer okay uh he's the trombonist and he also is credited as a vocalist on this album um and so I think that's also him singing yeah but I I don't know for sure it seems a little different Um, but it's obviously not Reese
0: it seems a little different than the rest of the record I like it
1: yeah it's very fun. Uh yeah,
0: this one like I said felt a lot less spoken word than the rest of the record did.
1: Yeah, it's a more straightforwardly mm-hmm. sung song. Uh
0: this is another one though I wrote that every song is too long. The song is too long.
1: Yeah, this this one definitely stretches out way longer than it needs to. I agree.
0: But I get like you said too like in terms of like seeing them live, it's probably great. It's probably so good. Yeah, right. But on a record, especially On song nine, I'm falling apart from that ska fatigue, man.
1: I agree. I think that his vocal style is nice because it's so different from Reese's, because he sings and because he has a very polished kind of sheen to his vocals. I believe that helps push back on the fatigue that you mentioned, but it doesn't totally get rid of it for me. I also wonder if maybe because he wrote this. In a very intentional structured way, because compositionally this song feels a little more thoughtful. Yep. I almost wonder if he just wrote these lyrics and he was like, We need all of these lyrics, so we need enough music for all of these lyrics. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. And that's why it's so long, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Because it seems like there's some real some real like like he was thinking ahead and there was like an intentional plan and he wasn't willing to cut any fat because that was his vision right. for the song. Just yeah. throwing that out there, but yeah. that's kind of how it feels.
0: Yeah. Hold on. I want to look up some of these lyrics.
1: It's got a nice sunny bop kind of feel, like you're just kinda of, like I, I, I could go on a walk to this mm-hmm. song.
0: Yeah, like it feels like the opening scenes of like a like a sitcom. Like a single cam sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Of like
1: someone puts in their headphones right. and is walking down the street. Right. Before before the rain clouds yep. show up and they exactly. get drenched.
0: Uh, Besides that, I don't have much else to say about this one.
1: It's good. I like the idea of a second season coming around and the hope that that brings. Yeah, you know, for sure. It's a fun message.
0: All right, well, let's rock and roll right on to track number ten, Litmus. Yeah.
1: Nice drums there.
0: it's good. Yeah, I, I love the intro to this. It feels the most
1: ska-like that they've had in a little bit. I'm curious to hear your idea for an alternate album tracklist oh, yeah. order because I think that this song features well where it's yeah. at.
0: Well, I have this in a similar place. Yeah, it, okay. it's a good it's a good cuz Cause
1: it, cause it does need to be on the back half to bring that energy yep, back up. Exactly.
0: Um I love the lyrics of this song. I think the chorus is Agreed. really weak though. Mm. Yeah. I think the chor- like the melody on the chorus is right. super weak. Especially because I think the lyrics are so yeah. good. Like it kind of bums me out a little bit. Right. You know, e- even though there's a lot in the lyrics, I mean, I don't know how I feel about it exactly, but I think he he's bringing up a very specific point, you know, applying that within talking about like sciency stuff. I thought I thought I thought it was really right. interesting. I I keep coming back to this and i get that like ska is not the type of music where you're supposed to like sing along to everything you're mostly just supposed to skank right bob your head i I can't sing along to so much of this album you know yeah. like there there's not a lot that i can hook into to sing along
1: yeah i it's funny you say that because i actually like the chorus for its simplicity It's not super catchy. it's not it's it's nothing that's gonna blow right. your mind, but I like the acid or bass mm-hmm. idea like that's kind of right. a fun visual yeah
0: well, th- this is another one though where I could like see the music video in my head right he he does paint a really good picture lyrically. there is sweet bass in the song. The song totally has some sweet bass, and I love yes, I like his there's... vocal delivery on this more than some of the other ones.
1: He's a little scratchier, yeah, he, you know, there's a little angst and a little confidence, yeah, too, that works really and well. I like
0: that. I like that the verses into the chorus, the verses feel a little more not not halftime, but the way he's kind of delivering it. The lines are a little longer. And then he does kind of speed it up on the chorus. I do. I do enjoy that. Yeah,
1: there's a good dynamic shift between the, the parts of but the song. I don't
0: know. I, I don't know if I love it because it's really good or because of how much I've not heard that on the record so much. I'm kind of right. latching on to it, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, favorite lyric of the song, with pocketfuls of quips and gurgles, words that fluff like a handful of gerbils. Pocketfuls of quips and gurgles. Words that fluff like a handful of gerbils.
0: Yes, that's mine too. That's mine too. It's so good.
1: Just, I don't understand it and I yeah. don't need to. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I do like that kind of outro instrumental that starts with that slinky mm-hmm. bass line. That's like that kind of Dick Dale. i saying
0: sweet bass, man. Surfy they're, sound. They're bass player on yeah. this, man. It's so good. I like songs too that have almost a sort of lead bass element. You know what I mean? Like the bass isn't just holding down right. the
1: rhythm. It's also very melodic. Right, it's featured prominently. And I also want to mention um, in my mind... Litmus is the song that connects most to the album art, but I'm probably just projecting okay. that. But to me, the guy in the straight jacket or lab coat or whatever he's in seems like the guy that's, you know, doing the litmus right. test. Okay.
0: I like that. I like that. That
1: was always how I envisioned it. And so I think this song sticks out to me for that reason, because I, I kind of put the aesthetic of the album art together, together with, with song. this song. Okay.
0: That's cool. I like that.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's
0: move on to track number eleven. Oh, Canada.
1: Welcome to Canada. It's a maple leaf state. Canada. Oh, Canada. It's great. The people are nice and they speak French If you don't.
0: So this is probably the second Five Iron
1: Frenzy song I ever heard. This to me is like the quintessential Five Iron Frenzy song. Yep.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's goofy. It's fun. It really is. <laughs> is it? Is it? Okay. Definitely not to the extent that Colored People is, but is this song racist? Not, 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 not that it's (laughs) like overtly racist, but is it? Okay. I, I only bring this up because when I was in high school, the very first song that I wrote that I performed at the talent show was called the Eskimo song. And yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and and all, all of it, I was just saying You know, I was just being a dumb kid and I was saying like, we're all, we're all Eskimos and it was just funny and I didn't think too much about it. Right. But I don't know. I mean, talking about Yaks and and things like that and this song, like, I don't, I don't know, especially because they're not a, they're not a Canadian band. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's like, if I'm projecting too much 2020 wokeness on it. Because it is just it's a, valid it's just a question. fun song. It is a really fun song. but
1: Yeah, I don't know. To me, it's a playful nod to the culture of Canada. And it's Reese being a cheese ball. But I, I see what you're saying, and I don't have an answer. That's valid. That's totally valid. <laughs> I don't valid. know. That's totally valid. But I will say, just looking over these lyrics, it doesn't seem like there's anything that's overtly... Racist or yeah,
0: I know, I know. Ra- racist is the wrong word, I think, because it's not. It's
1: definitely an oversimplification of an entire country. Maybe,
0: maybe that's maybe that's what I'm <laughs> maybe that's what I'm picking up on. I don't know.
1: Which feels a little weird. It's like, wait, so that's all? You, Five Iron Frenzy just summed up the whole of Canada but also, who in cares? this one song.
0: You know what I mean? Like, like exactly.
1: They're a ska band yeah. from Denver. It's just fun. It's just a fun song. It, it is fun. It's. I'll say this for them: there's no song that I know of that in one line name drops William Shatner and also mentions a Slurpee made from venison.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: that's true. I, I, there's, there's no other song. That's true. And there's probably no other band that could get away with it
0: unless they were a Canadian band.
1: <laughs> yep. I do have a question. So if ever uh, Reese Roper or any members of Five Iron past or present or future or any marketing folks, friends, family, anyone is connected to them in any way. I have a question. Okay. Shoot. Reese, why the lyric I see you play makes no sense. And you know that you're better than that. (laughs) All right. That's all. Well,
0: I don't know. It makes sense to me, but I also didn't live in, France for two years.
1: Yeah. I lived in France for two years. I I actually love it and I also am consternated by it now that I right. know French. But before I it made it made no sense and it was great for that reason. Yeah. Super fun song though. It
0: is. It's a bop, man. That song's a bop.
1: Like I I'll be I'll be on my deathbed and if somebody brought that song to me, I would sing it. On your deathbed. Alright, I'm gonna do that do it man also i love that they take the moment to do the uh nod to the canadian national anthem the horns play one section of it and then they get really like slinky right. groovy with it which is right. super well, fun
0: also because this is such a fun song and because it's so popular it's weird to me that it's so far into the album
1: yeah it is way back it's 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 real it's weird true i've never thought of that yeah but you're right it's kind of strange. Well, I got nothing else on that. Me neither.
0: All right, let's do track number twelve, most likely to succeed. Track twelve? All right, once again, my ska fatigue
1: is hitting me hard. All I wrote, all I wrote on yeah. this is it has a great chorus. Mm, okay. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I wrote it feels it feels like a filler. And I agree with your ska fatigue point. It also makes me think of something that we've mentioned in the past, and that's the first fire syndrome. Oh, yeah. So a little variation on that theme here. All of these horn intros, I get that that's the structure for ska, and that's the way of the world. But more than ever on this song, when it starts in, I'm like, I've heard this song before. yeah. And it's because of that horn intro that sounds just like Seventeen thousand other like every other ska ska songs, song i guess
0: that's ever been written
1: yeah and i guess i wish that they could figure out how to start a song a little differently
0: yeah i i just i feel and, like
1: and in their defense there's plenty of other songs on this album that start yeah. differently but there are like probably four or five that start almost the same way i know so. i know
0: i just i don't know uh... So I I guess this is like a good time to bring up one of the reviews that I read of this album was that it just kind of was status quo. It didn't add anything new. It it felt like every other ska album that was coming out at the time.
1: I wonder, though, if that's because by 1997, the ska Nazance had reached its peak and it was like overblown, like oversaturated. And there were just too many ska bands that had happened to... Yeah. Rise up. I don't know, but I I don't disagree with that necessarily. Yeah. Oh, I will bring up two
0: um where can I find it? Oh yeah. So, I will bring up two one of the reviews that I read about this too, I thought was interesting is a reviewer compared this record and lyrically compared it to Steve Taylor of Newsboys Fame of our homie Breakfast, Steve, you know the MVP of "Take This to Your Leader," who wrote some <laughs> weird but also weirdly profound lyrics. And yeah, yep. I, I I do think they they did for the most part they did a good job of finding the line between personal and goofy and serious. You know what I mean? Of mm-hmm. of bringing yeah. the big things and also just being a goofy ska band.
1: Yeah, I agree. I can definitely see the parallel between. Reese's kind of silly, but also pretty solid lyricism comparing that to Steve Taylor. Um, Also, one thing I wanted to mention about this song is that I can't tell if I like the message or not. I think I do, because to me, it seems like a critique of the sort of American capitalist system overvaluing productivity and not caring about people as people. I think that's what it's saying, but there's also the line about the poster child for becoming homeless, which then feels almost autobiographical because that seems like something that Reese would say about himself, <laughs> like just in a sort of jest. And and so I'm a little confused. And so I wonder, Kylan, if you have, it, have a better or different read on the song's message. Like, you know, basically the chorus says, Do what you do when you say what you want to say with or without regard for me. Scheme what you scheme when you're thinking of yourself. You're the most likely to succeed. The yearbook said that you'd be another winner. You forgot what success should mean. The poster child for becoming homeless, Mr. Most Likely to Succeed. To me, it kind of does cartwheels with its messaging, but maybe I'm just confused by it. What do you think? I
0: agree with that. It it seems it, it just it's another thing that seems very kind of immature, a little bit, very middle right. school it's a very easy thing to understand you know what I mean yeah
1: right and I don't know if the song really benefits from that you know I think it again I, it's like I think I like the message but ultimately I end up feeling confused about it so I don't know what to right. think right exactly <laughs> a fine tune I guess yeah it's alright anything else to say no, about I it
0: no I don't I think we should move on we're almost done this is the last track the last track I feel like we've been blasting through this but I don't know how long we've been recording how long have we been going now?
1: Yeah. Let's take a look. I don't know. Okay, we're at
0: 115 minutes. Right? At, at almost Not 2 bad. hours once I cut it down, you know. Maybe yeah. a little bit without all my pee breaks, it'll probably be about, you know, a little bit less. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, this is the last track, Every New Day. Oh, besides the secret
1: bonus track. <laughs> Dear Father, I need you. You're So we finally arrived Kylan, at my favorite this song. This is your favorite. This, this is this is it. Is man. it.
0: Okay. Why why I love it why so why much? is it your favorite?
1: To me for one thing the horn section is it's unique. The horn section peaks my ear a little bit and even after having heard the song A million times, I I still like it. And then I guess the very next thing that I think about with this song are the lyrics. And as I mentioned in the first half, I just love sort of the message of hope and resilience and holding on to dreams and aspirations, overcoming tough situations against all odds. To me, that is the core of this song. And it just makes me smile. No, I, I, I think
0: it's a good uh it's a good bookend too for the album. I think it I think it kind of reaffirms yes. that mission statement. It, it is I will say the most worshipy lyric-wise. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. And it does feel a little weird to me the same way that Banner year did. It was like I kind of wish maybe they had a little more
1: like this or not have it. You know what I mean? Right. Um but it's it it dives right into the sincere yes, head first.
0: Yes. But I really do enjoy it. I th- I think it's a I think it's a really solid album closer.
1: Yeah, I agree. To me the repeated phrase of when I mm-hmm. was young and then following that up with different descriptions of you know what life is like for us all as we're growing up and learning new things. Um to me that's like a simple but powerful lyrical idea. I feel like he used it really well. Um, The first lines right out of the gate are, when I was young, the smallest trickle of light could catch my eye. Then life was new, and every new day I thought that I could fly. Yeah, dude, that's so good. And don't we all feel that way, you know? That's
0: such a good line.
1: Yeah, and then he takes it further with a little bit of juxtaposition, Mm -hmm. repeating it, when I was small, the furthest I could reach was not so high. Then I thought the world was so much smaller, feeling I could fly. So acknowledging that like we're all kind of tiny and vulnerable and not super capable but we feel like we are and we feel like we can do so much and then acknowledging kind of the reality of life the more you grow up and see things for what they are but then he falls back on you know taking strength from another source and flying higher and every new day being being new again, I don't know. I just, I just love it. Yeah,
0: no, I, I, I think it's really solid. I think, I think this one lyrically found the balance of the micro and the macro a, a lot yeah. better than a lot of other songs did. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's even a touch of that silliness of the that bridge, the man versus himself, man versus right. machine, man versus the world, mankind yeah, versus me. It's like me. all the story archetypes. They, they all just like fit together really well and it's like over the top but it also is very true you know like i mean there's like truth in it even though there's kind of some some cheese ball mm-hmm. in it too and then that outro like with the like the double time drums yeah. and the horns like just rising i don't know it feels like feels like the heavens are parting no, man like i said it i don't is know a great that's a take closer. off
0: <laughs> it is one of the more solid songs on the record for sure,
1: yeah, and i'm I'm just glad that I can listen to it as a thirty something in twenty twenty and still feel that freshness and that newness and sense of hope and light, and like I can smile all the way through yeah. that song without any sort of right yeah and there's and there's or, no shame
0: about it. It's just like it's a it's a hopeful song, yeah, and it doesn't want to it's not trying to be right. anything else or trying to trick you into.
1: Feeling hopeful, it just is. It's super sincere, right. and I'm I'm super grateful for it. It lets me finish the album with a cleansed palette, yeah, I guess, like sonically yeah. and with like a an extra pep yeah, in my step. I, I don't know.
0: That. That's rad.
1: So, do you want to talk about the secret track? <laughs> so I didn't I didn't think it was on Spotify because I didn't. Oh yeah, hate. no, it is. And I I went to find it on the internet. So actually, this will be the first time I've heard it. As we record here, it comes Um, in
0: right around like 815.
1: What do you want to say about the secret track?
0: It's dumb, (laughs) but it's like the perfect secret track. You know what I mean? Like you could also yeah. put "Kitty Doggy" as the secret track, and I w- I would be more happy with it being there than anywhere else. It's just them
1: messing around. Right. Um, I
0: didn't look up lyrics or anything. I don't know what they're saying because all the vocals
1: are way blown out. I've got no idea, and I don't really care. Right. To. Exactly. <laughs> I'm hearing it now, and I, I'm like, I'm glad it exists because. I think I'm having my own revelation now as I'm listening to it about this whole nonsense sketch thing. I think the fact that they decided to share it with us, the listeners, makes me feel invited to the joke. And so because of that, I love that I get to kind of look behind the curtain and see them at their silliest and see them doing bonkers stuff that makes no sense right. yeah i think ultimately how i feel is all that stuff should be at the end of an album it should be a secret track it should be like an optional part of the listening yep. experience and that goes back to what you were saying about a listener feeling like their time's being wasted this way it wouldn't feel that way because you could just turn it yeah. off if you wanted but I, to. But i
0: love that it is a secret track you know i i do right. miss the days of bands doing secret tracks because yeah, I think that right. is the place where you can add all that all that nonsense of just some right just some that you made up at four in the morning with all your best friends. Super fun. Yeah. All right. So we did it. We did it. We listened to our newest album ever. Oh, oh, hey, before yes. we talk about whether it's a flop or a bob, do you want to hear my alternative track list?
1: Hey, so Kylan, I was wondering what about that alternative ah, track list? Ah, Why don't you fill right. me in? What do you got?
0: So I, I think if I had sat down and thought about this a little more, it might be a little different. But this is, like I said, listening through this record, it was all kind of first impressions. Uh, but I do want right. to get your opinion on if you think this track list would work and how it, it would work compared to the actual track list. Let's hear it. Uh, so right off the bat, get rid of Kitty Doggy. We don't need it. Just just scrap yeah, it. We don't need it. We also don't need Most Likely to Succeed. Okay. This can be this can be a 10 song album, right? That's that's all you need. Yep. Uh I think starting with superpowers, I think that's a better album opener. It's really strong. It's really okay. catchy. You know, it hooks you right in. Still kind of gives you a little bit of that mission statement of who they mm-hmm. are as a band. Then from there, go right into O Canada. So you kind of front load it. kind of okay. front load it a little bit. Right. Then have handbook for the sellout track number 3 uh from that going to okay. second season then okay so so it's it's starting to get you know it was real goofy kind of fun and also personal about being in a band and then it starts to transition a little bit second season kind of does that into blue comb 78 which gets really mm-hmm. personal And then so you go from the micro to the macro with right after that, you have Banner Year. Okay. then you have Sucker Punch right after that, uh, because it was like this really heavy kind of thing. And then it just kind of gets fun and goofy again. And from there, right after that, do Where's Micah. Right. That's a good like later in the album, keeping it fun, keeping it light. Yep. And then you do litmus and end on every new day. So you get a little bit angry, mm. you know, you, you get a little bit more intense and then you end yep. it back on that positive note. And what did you say about Blue Comb? What came before and after Blue Comb? Uh, Blue Comb, before that was second season and banner year is right after that okay. So uh, what I think I'm gonna do, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna make a playlist of that alternative track list and post it on social media too. And And maybe we'll do like a playlist of the album as is and then my alternate track list and see if, I don't know, see if I'm crazy, see if anyone agrees that... Yeah. But I think personally, for me, a better listening experience would be that track list. Yeah,
1: that would have more yeah, of an impact. Yeah, I think it would flow a lot better. Yeah, no, I love that. I think the only complaint I have about that is that Blue Comb and second season are like similar and that they're like kind of mid-tempo. Right. And if they're back-to-back, that might actually create more of a slump. Okay. But... Maybe not. I don't know. And other than that, I Sweet. love it. Okay, cool. I think it's perfect. I, I think it's better than yeah. this track list. Good but, job. I
0: mean, who am I to say? That's just my personal opinion on it. And, and, I, and I thought that was an are. interesting experiment to try to do an alternate track yeah, list because I thought fun. that halfway through the record, I thought that a lot of the songs were solid, but I think the way that the track list kind of felt, like it just didn't, it didn't flow well as an album as a whole. So I think that might give it a little bit more flow. Yeah, I
1: love it. Solid. All right,
0: so that brings us to, as well, the ever-important
1: question. The big question, the moment you've all been waiting for, is our newest album ever a flop or a bop? Well, should you go first? I don't know if I want to. (laughs) Should I go first? You don't don't want to? I don't know. Yeah, uh, okay. Talk me, through your, talk me through your thought process. What's happening in
0: your mind? I think, and not to toot my own horn, but I think going back to my alternate track list, I think my alternate track list is a bop. Oh. I think the album As It Stands might be a flop, but I think that might just be my scoff fatigue coming out. It might make me a little cranky. Yeah. Because, okay, I, I, think, I okay. think a lot of the songs totally stand on their own. They're great songs. I think the sequencing of the album, I I think it the way that it fits together doesn't work for me. It feels feels a lot more like a first album than a second album for a band. So right, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you think of it in in this context of like whenever you're first starting out and you go into record your first album, I don't think there's as much thought behind the album as a whole because you've... However much time you spent as a band, you've kind of written all these songs that are all kind of random and kind of all over the place. But you just want to get all of your music out there.
1: It's not as much about the through line or the common thread or the flow as much as it is getting the content out there. To right. The exactly.
0: Exactly. It's just getting everything you, you have out. And then you I feel like you have a little bit more time. And it, I mean, the sophomore slump is like a real thing. I feel like the second album also gives you more an opportunity, especially if you have a bigger recording budget, things like that, to really hone in on which songs need to be out there, like which songs need to represent who you are. And I think the second album for a lot of bands is is often more important than the the first album because now you've got your fan base and you really want to hone in on who you are and what you're trying to say. And while a lot of these songs are really good. And they do say who the band is, you know, like they have the goofy element of Oh Canada and they have the personal elements of blue comb 78 and they have the sort of mix in between of superpowers and where's Micah and stuff like that. It didn't feel to me like a whole lot of thought was put into how do these songs work together? You know what I mean? Together, Yep. You know what I mean? So, so I, so I don't, I I don't know where that leaves me. I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer because I said both.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a stickler for these types of things, so I think that's a fine answer. Cool.
0: And I but I also think too. I'm trying to think of, of in terms of other ska music that was out at the time. I don't know if it's any better or any worse. Right. You know what I mean? I think it's fine. yeah,
1: yeah. That that's a good point because it, it it is important to it is important to judge an album in the correct context. And since we aren't quite the ultimate ska aficionados that we should be, we can't really say on that basis. But we can say for our own personal taste how we feel, and I think that you've done yeah. that. I like your alternate track list. I like that you're giving the album a chance because you see it has potential. Yeah, totally.
0: But because like, I don't think too, like I don't, I don't know if I'd put this and maybe it's just because ska is such a specific genre. I don't know if I would put it, you know, because we talked about too on the Newsboys episode, how the big thing that we're trying to do is to try to give these Christian bands the same kind of critical analysis that we do a lot of other bands of the same time right and i don't know if i would put this above or below any other ska music i yeah, think honestly to me it just i just think fits I, right I would in. just make a playlist of random ska songs but i would totally put sucker punch and o canada and honestly probably blue comb 78 and every new day on that mm-hmm. playlist you know what i mean yeah
1: and and that i if you don't mind i'll i'll go ahead and now answer because that really leads into my thoughts on it and and the way i think i've decided to judge whether an album is a flop or a bop is does a majority of it work really well for me okay if more than half of it lands in like the positive arena of my creative sphere of critique, then it's a bop for me, um, because I think that the efforts put in right. have paid off, and more than half of it is great. Okay, so it's a bop. So in my mind, this is definitely a bop in that way, and I'll I'll add with the caveat that your playlist your track list version of it might take it from being a sixty percent bop to like a ninety okay. percent bop.
0: All right. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to get that alternative track list out there and see what listeners think of it.
1: Yeah. And for any listeners, maybe you've got even another idea of how That's the track That's true. List could so look. Yeah, you should you should totally reach out to us
0: at churchjamsnowpod pod at gmail.com. Wait, no, Church jams. You should reach out to us at churchjamsnowpodcast at gmail dot com and tell us what you think. Was I too hard on it? Was TJ not hard enough? Is is this? <laughs> give us some more context with ska too. I don't know if we have any 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 people that were part of the ska no. Oh
1: yeah, I'm sure we got a lot of s- ska Ska-experts. experts. <laughs>
0: I I saw that that worked in your head. That, that totally worked in your head until it, did. it came out of your
1: mouth. I went for it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah, yeah, so okay, no so we're at an interesting point. So the first album we reviewed, we thought it was going to be a bop. It was a flop. Second album, <laughs> thought it was going to be a bop. It was a bop. Third album, we're a little bit on the... Uh, mostly, mostly bop. Mostly bop. I mean, I agree with that. that. That's the only reason I made the alternative track list, too. You know? Right. It has potential to be a bop. So I'm a little bit more on the fence that, you know, that that's an interesting outcome that I didn't anticipate going into this, you know?
1: I like it. I love that you're giving it a chance. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's what what this whole podcast is, man. You're finding a way to make it work. Because
0: I want it to. It is really good. And those horns, I mean, and we talked about being a ska drummer. I mean, all of it. I just like, I do love it. I want to love it. I want to love it more than I do, I guess, is, is, is what I'm trying to get at.
1: Well, hey. Not to shift the focus, but go listen to Engine of a Million Plots. Oh, is that
0: is that their newest one?
1: That's the new one. Go listen to that. I think okay. you'll be scopped up. No. Skibbity bop. Skibbity bop. You'll be, you'll be ex-scotic. Ooh, ooh, okay. Wait, no. That,
0: that was pretty good. Ex-scotic. ex X. Oh, hold on. Hold on. There's something there. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, give it an, give give that album a listen, Kylan, because I think you'll find it Skossom.
0: Ooh, there we go. That's it. You nailed it. <laughs> That's the take. <laughs> it will be indeed Skossom. So, I don't think we have much else, right? I think it's really funny, because I know going into this album, we decided to do it all in one day, too, because we're like, oh, yeah, this will be really quick. This will be so fast compared to the other ones. Well, and then... Yep. I don't think it has been. I think I think we I think we got we got we, deeper than we anticipated.
1: Yeah, we somehow always find a way to overanalyze things and just go really deep. But hey, deep.
0: that's literally the point of this, right? That's like the whole idea.
1: Church jams now that's and right. forever. So, next week, TJ, are you ready? I'm ready.
0: Are you sure? Okay, well, I we're think... switching it up just a little bit, you know, cuz we did yeah. we did DC Talk, Newsboys, and then we kind of went took a hard right turn with Five Iron Frenzy to go from less worshipy kind of stuff into ska, punk territory. And we're switching it again to go into some more pop music. Also with an album that we're not very familiar with, but the album is the self-titled 1997 album, Sixpence None the Richer. I'm very excited because literally all I know about this band, I know that they were a Christian band.
1: But they wrote Kiss Me. And I like that we're jumping to a band that released in the same year as Five Iron. Oh That'll yeah. That'd be fun. And then this
0: album was all over the charts. This this was one of the few albums that also transcended the Christian music context to go into the Zeitgeist in a in a much bigger way. So I'm I'm curious to see if there are religious elements in this album or if they were just kind of, if they started as a Christian band and then, you know, kind of gave that away or what, you know, we got to do our research and figure that out. But I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about doing that record. It'll be interesting,
1: man. I can't wait to jump in. Also
0: listeners stoked. If you have any suggestions for albums that we should do, please feel free to reach out to us on our email or on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram, or Friendster, you know, all the, on Foursquare. <laughs> also, don't forget to rate, r- review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, definitely when you write reviews, that helps us get more listeners. So if you enjoy way over analyzing music such as <laughs> Sucker Punch, which I'm not sure was meant to be overanalyzed, <laughs> then please do that and help us out. Thank you so much.
1: I I just want to tell everybody thanks for scopping by. Oh,
0: damn. You've been thinking about that. That's why you've been quiet.
1: This has been another scossum episode of Church Jams Now.